Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. I'm your host. As always, I'm talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. Just got a nagging, annoying cough like midweek this week. So that's been fun to deal with. I'm not like sick. It's just one of these annoying little things. But hopefully that'll go away really soon here. Yeah, definitely. That's always uh, annoying, especially when you're trying to record a podcast. So we'll see how that goes. Um, we got the master editor over here, so I'll sound <laughs> good no matter what. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll see. Now, now that it's on, now, I'm going to edit that part out too as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh got a couple of topics for you today, but the big one, uh, last Thursday, the NBA trade deadline came and went uh, for me. Is a little unimpressive, but but Chris, what, what what were your general thoughts of the trade deadline? Well, the NBA trade deadline year to year is like hot and cold. You'll get like one crazy one and then two kind of ho-hum ones. Last year, we had a pretty crazy one. So this year, it was kind of predictable that there wouldn't be a big one. It, it, don't get me wrong, still some solid mid-level moves, but nothing to the level of the activity that occurred last year. Last year you had about three, four, five really solid deals that shook up everything. This year, I think there were only about two or three that were really, really impactful, but they all involved kind of teams that are in the playoff hunt. So still a solid trade deadline, but certainly not one of the more crazy ones. Yeah, definitely. The last year's trade deadline, I mean how many starting point guards were moved during that? Uh, the Phoenix Suns were involved in maybe four starting point guards alone. Uh, it was it was a crazy tread deadline last year. A lot of uh, interesting moves happened uh, this year. Yeah, not not so much. I think because we are expecting big changes in the NBA offseason this year with the cap rising, uh, teams weren't sure how to value uh, expiring contracts, how to value mid level contracts. And we really just wanted to stand pat and just see how this offseason goes. That's probably going to lead to next year being a, a more eventful trade deadline. But uh, that's not to say that moves did not happen. And like you said, contenders still went out and got that one uh, missing piece. Uh, for you, what was uh, which one do you want to talk about or, or uh, first or what was the, the biggest move for you? Well, for us, I think it's whenever our hometown team makes a move, it's going to be big for us. But I also think that this year, Cleveland is kind of at the epicenter of the NBA because most people view them as the team that's going to be one half of the NBA Finals equation. They have a big lead in the East, about four games on Toronto. They're clearly the best team in the East. And so whenever they make a move, it's going to be news. And they made a fairly solid one. Uh, getting Shannon for Channing Fry, a very versatile forward who can bring a little bit more offensively than the forward they gave away, a fan favorite here in Anderson Varejo. So it was a bit of a polarizing trade to trade Varejo for Fry, but I understand why. Uh, it saves them some money, but it also gives them a forward who I think is a little more reliable from an injury standpoint and can give them a little bit more offensively. Varejo, for all his greatness uh, as a six-man role player defensive guy he's never really been the most polished offensive player that's not to say he can't pile up the stat sheet because in some of those lean years he did average high scoring but I would apply the 
good player on a bad team, someone's got to get the points theory to that one. I don't think Anderson Varejo's offense is at the level of, you know, sort of an elite stretch four. Not that Channing Frye is an elite stretch four, but he can at least space the floor a little bit better than Varejo can. And when you have guys like Kyrie Irving and LeBron James who are going to command so much space, anytime a big can loosen up that lane, it's a good thing. So I think it was a solid trade for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, it's a solid move. Uh, you know, the Cavs really didn't have to go out and do anything. They have a very solid team. Um, you know, this this part is probably more fitting for Klee Talk, uh, but we just posted that episode last week. But uh, just a, an ode to Anderson Varejao, a 12-year veteran with the Cavs. Uh, you know, there was one year where he was averaging, I think, 14 and 12 uh, for 20 games. Then he uh, had to get sidelined for blood clots in his lungs or something. There were moments where he showed flashes of being one of the best rebounders in the league. Uh, if not for injuries, he, he probably would be one of the best rebounders, uh, a fan favorite and rightfully so. So whoever picks him up is going to get a good player. And it's, it's as a Cleveland fan, it's going to be sad to see him go. It's only fitting that Channing Fry is finally a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers because I remember reading about uh, the Cavs always being interested in him back to when he was 23 and playing with the New York Knicks. So the Cavs have always circulated around Channing Fry for a really long time. I've always been interested in him now at age 32, where he has some lingering health problems that are even uh, preventing him from, from playing uh, his first game as a Cav. Uh, the Cavaliers finally get him. Um, he is a, a stretch for by all means. He is uh, the epitome of a stretch for I got, he's six eleven, can shoot that three ball. Uh, the good news for me uh, as a Cavs fan, even though he's only averaging 5.2 points a game, and a 397 three-point percentage, those years in Phoenix were his best years. And that's when he was playing an up-tempo offense that liked to run a little small and liked to stretch the floor. So Cleveland does all of those things because they have Kevin Love at that four. So when they swap out Love for Fry, uh, look for some open looks in, in the three. So I think it's a really good move. It's an insurance policy for, you know, if Kevin Love goes down in the playoffs again, they have Channing Fry who can stretch the floor, the floor at that four position. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good addition, you know, Anderson Varejao for Channing Fry at this point in the game. Uh, it's a plus having Fry on the team. So good for the Cavs. Yeah, certainly big tip of the cap to Anderson Varejao. You were right. I think he was Tristan Thompson before Tristan Thompson. Back on those first LeBron tour, he was the Tristan Thompson energy role, rebounding better defensively. But, I mean, he, he redefined what an NBA flop was. He brought that to the forefront as well. So that will be his lasting legacy on the NBA. And you and I were at a Detroit Pistons-Cleveland Cavaliers Eastern Conference semifinal game where I believe Chauncey, Chauncey Billups was driving to the hoop to try to tie it in the waiting minutes of that fourth game. And he steaks up. Rasheed Wallace freaks, freaks out because he thought he flopped. So he's had some very memorable epic moments for the Cleveland Cavaliers. We were at a game where I think he hit a buzzer beater from three yeah, against the, the Atlanta the, Hawks as the well. Home, the home opener uh, one season, he had, he had a buzzer beater at the three. Yes. That he just happened to have the ball in the corner and shot it and made it. I think there was like one second on the shot clock and he shot it up and everyone cheers. I remember looking at my dad, I'm like, I can't cheer for that because that was one of the worst design plays ever. It just fell to Varejo and he happened to hit the shot. But so he certainly will live uh, in the hearts of Cleveland fans forever. He's been such a big part of this team. Um, but not to pile on him, the, 
excluding this year, the last five years, four out of the last five years, he hasn't even played 31 games. So the guy is kind of an injury time bomb at this point in his career. And his contract, I don't understand why they signed him to such a big contract a few years back. It didn't make sense to extend him. Uh, I think they may have been a little too loyal to him because uh, he certainly had been in decline. But he's going to latch on somewhere. I just hope the rumors aren't true and it's not Golden State. Anywhere but Golden State, please don't go to the Warriors. I'd even be, I wouldn't even care if he went to the Spurs. I don't hate the Spurs that much. I don't really like the Warriors that much just because of the sour taste of the NBA Finals. But, uh, you know, best of luck to him unless he goes to the Warriors. Then I have to cheer against the Warriors. But back to Channing Fry, I do agree. I think he brings that sort of stretch forwardness and insurance policy in case something were to happen to Kevin Love, uh, assuming he can get healthy. I mean, if he's not healthy, he's not much of an insurance policy. But imagine this, though, in certain sets, having him and Love on the floor at the same time. That kind of spacing could be pretty cool, uh, open things up for the Cavs. So I think that they can do some more creative things with Channing Fry on the team. And ultimately, it was a really good trade for Cleveland. They didn't really give up, in my opinion, that much for him. Varejo and Cunningham and a couple of draft picks. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it's really just a luxury for the Cavs. Um, back to that contract thing with Verja, I think they did that just so that for salary salary cap reasons, so that they could eventually trade him and, and take back a player uh, that fits into that contract. Because at the time of the of the extension, they were already strapped for the salary cap. But um, that's maybe a discussion for for a Klee talk if we're getting into it. We're we're here at the trade deadline and uh, moving forward. Uh, Markeith Morris was traded to the Wizards from the Phoenix Suns. Markeith Morris has really been in a bad mood in Phoenix ever since uh, the Phoenix Suns unceremoniously traded away his twin brother, Marcus Morris, uh, the lesser of the two. Uh, they traded him away in the offseason. He's been in a bad mood ever since. Uh, it was expected that he would get traded. Uh, traded to the Washington Wizards, one of the bigger disappointments in the NBA right now. They're sitting in 10th in the Eastern Conference at 25 and 29, uh, very close to that eighth seed. Uh, it's very possible that they can turn it around. Chris, do you think Markeith Morris is the guy to turn that around for the Wizards? I think he could. I think the Wizards need to just play better in general to do that, but I certainly think he could help. I mean, get, if you're talking about just getting to the 8th seed or the 7th seed, sure, but the Wizards had higher expectations than that. You know, Last year, I boldly said that they were the biggest threat to Cleveland in the East, and I think they were. Had John Wall not gotten hurt, that Eastern Conference Finals would have been a lot more competitive with a healthy John Wall because I think they beat Atlanta if John Wall doesn't get hurt. And so you go from that to struggling to even qualify for the Eastern Conference playoffs, that's not good. And so certainly I think they, they could have gotten that 8 or 7 seed without Markeith Morris. With him, I think they have a good shot, but even still, I think the Wizards will fall far short of what they wanted to do this year. And honestly, I mean, don't get me wrong, but Chris Humphreys, Dwan Blair, and a top-nine protected first-round pick, that's a fair amount to give up for Markeith Morris. I think the Suns did a really good job of turning a player who clearly just didn't want to be there into at least a draft pick that's going to fall anywhere from 10 to 30. Well, probably... 10 to 14 if the Wizards don't make the playoffs. So we'll, we'll see about how that pick shakes down. But I think the Wizards did a fairly good job uh, trading a guy who everyone knew didn't want to be there and getting some pretty good assets out of it. Yeah, the, the Suns 
did do a decent job. I think Markeith Morris uh, has some future value as well. He's on a very affordable deal for uh, what his talent brings to the table. He's only 26 years old. So, you know, the Wizards aren't just renting a player. They're getting a, a key contributor, a starting power forward for the next couple of years. Um, th- this Wizards team just has never been able to figure out the power forward position. Uh, you know, they tried starting Nene and Gortat together, and that just kind of clogged up the lanes. Now they're running a lineup with Jared Dudley and Otto Porter kind of switching between the four. Maybe Markeith Morris can help solidify that position for them, and they can actually uh, put together a win streak and get back into the playoff contention because, you know, this team is not that far is 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 not really different from last year's team or the team we we saw two years ago, which was one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. The talent is there, the personnel is there. They just need to get it all together. So maybe this this trade shaking it up the roster, giving up Dewan Blair and Chris Humphreys for Markeith Morris, maybe that's going to kickstart them. But overall, it's been a disappointing team. Uh, I I do think the Wizards improved with this trade. So uh, we we'll only have to we'll have to see if uh, it actually works out for them. Yeah, I certainly think the Wizards improve, and I think they got the best asset in the deal. I think you have a guy, you know what you're getting out of Markeith Morris, and I and you're right, they've got him on a very affordable contract for the next, I think, three years. So hopefully he's the answer to their power forward question. But to answer the Wizards' question, I mean, don't underestimate the loss of Paul Pierce, and the year before they had Trevor Ariza filling that sort of Paul Pierce role, so... Not having that reliable veteran small forward who can hit the corner three consistently is turning out to be a bigger problem than people thought. I mean, that's the only thing that's really changed from this year, from the last two years to this year. They don't have that three guy who can do it. And Otto Porter has been okay, but he has not stepped up to the level of Paul Pierce and Trevor Ariza, the production that they were providing. That's very true. Um I would also say that it Bradley Beal continues to miss games. He's missed 13 games uh, this year. Uh, and, you know, they do have Jared Dudley on the team who's shooting uh, 450 behind the arc. So th- they do have some three-point shooting. He's he's putting in a very good year. Um, it, I don't think – I think it's more than just the lack of, of a three-point shooting small forward. I, I just think that the team is just kind of out of balance right now and, and maybe – shaking it up with a new starting lineup is going to help uh, open things up for the entire team. You know, the other problem is Washington is treating this year as a don't mess up the cap year. We want to try to go after Kevin Durant. So Washington may be playing a little bit of possum this year in hopes to snag a big prize in free agency to sustain themselves for the long term. I know that's a hot rumor that Kevin Durant going back to D.C. where he's from it could be cool for them because if that happened, that would certainly vault them towards the top of the East. But I don't know. I don't know. That's putting a lot of chips in that basket, and you're throwing away at least one year to do it. Um, we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition. Yeah, we'll definitely see. Um, the The Kevin Durant rumor train is only going to get stronger and louder uh, the closer we get to the summer. Uh, he's in for a huge payday wherever he goes. So uh, he will definitely be the the main topic of a future podcast this year absolutely um speaking thing is though why hasn't the kevin durant rumor train reached the level of the kevin love rumor train last year 
I felt like last year, every other week, there was something on the national level. I know we're in Cleveland, so we get it more, but on the national level, everyone was talking about Kevin Love. I haven't heard much about Kevin Durant this year. I, I think it's just a different relationship with the player. Um, I, I don't think people really get Kevin Love like they get Kevin Durant. I, I, I just get that sense that people make stuff up about Kevin Love all the time. Plus, the association with LeBron James uh, makes it a media circus. So that has some stuff to do with it. But, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, for Kevin Durant being one of the top five players in the league, it has been relatively quiet, uh, the, the free agency rumors with him. So speaking of his Oklahoma City Thunder, they made a deal uh, grabbing Randy Foy from the Nuggets. They gave up a, 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 f- a couple pieces, but – uh, Randy Foy uh, coming to the th- the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Thunder have always been looking for that shooting guard ever since giving up James Harden. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on this move? Well, anytime you can improve from Deion Waiters, it doesn't take much. <laughs> so uh, I certainly think it's a win because in time, I mean, Randy Foy didn't play much in their game against Cleveland, but I think he will eventually be their starting two guard or the two guard that gets more minutes because – I mean, let's just face it, Deion Waiters is Deion Waiters. That I, I still think Griffin, the Cavs general manager, should have won executive of the year for no other reason than convincing Oklahoma City that Deion Waiters was a viable team and turning him essentially into J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert. That was a phenomenal trade last year because Deion Waiters has been essentially a black hole on the Oklahoma City Thunder roster. They thought they were going to get a scoring two who would be James Harden light and they got like nothing. They I mean he has just been Well they got Dion Waiters is what they got. Yeah, they got Dion Waiters. <laughs> and so Randy Foy, if he can't beat out Dion Waiters for that position, uh there's a huge problem there. So I certainly think they've improved. I'm not gonna overreact because a lot of people, mainly Charles Barkley, are saying that the Thunder are, are the biggest threat to Golden State in the West. I don't think so. Look, Cleveland really picked them apart recently on the road in their game. And I just think the Thunder are the cutoff. I think there's the big three of Golden State, San Antonio, and Cleveland. And then there's a drop-off between Cleveland and the Thunder. I think the Thunder are the clear fourth-best team. And they will give Golden State or San Antonio a run for their money. They can light it up offensively. I just think they have too many weaknesses that you can attack defensively and outside of Durant and Westbrook they are not that deep they have a lot of good creative players but you can exploit them on the defensive end and they don't have the depth to match San Antonio Golden State and Cleveland so I am not sold on them dethroning the established order with this move I think it's a solid move I think they've improved but I don't think that they're going to all of a sudden become a super threat to the Spurs or the Warriors. They'll give them a run, but I would be surprised if the Thunder made it to the conference finals absent a significant injury to one of the other teams. Yeah, I definitely view them as the third best out West. Um, That's not to say that they have no chance uh, with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. All things are possible. I do not like this Randy Foy trade. Uh, You know, the pieces you gave up, I guess, don't, it doesn't hurt you, but Randy Foy is averaging six points a game and shooting 296 behind the arc as your shooting guard, that's just not, you know, the, the Thunder need a three-point specialist in, in that starting lineup. And by these numbers, Randy Foy is no three-point specialist. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that beating out Dion Waiters is, is 
like he can do that easily. Uh, actually, Andre Robin Robertson has been their starting shooting guard for 45 games. Uh, and he's shooting 274 from behind the arc and averaging 4.9 points. So, you know, there is a huge void at, at the shooting guard and Randy Foy, uh, does, does not fix that. does not fix the void that, that Dion waiters and Andre Robertson create uh, on this roster. So uh, it, it really does nothing for me. It, it, it's just another body. Uh, Randy Foy is a veteran, so I'm sure uh, he might be more useful in the playoffs. But um, in terms of improving the team or, or, or moving the needle, elevating them to number two or number one in the Western Conference, it certainly does not do that. When you think of the Thunder just a few years ago, they used to have one of the best two-guard combinations in the league. You had Davos Cephalosha starting for defense, then you'd bring James Harden off the bench, and it was just such a great mix and match one-two punch and now they have Russell Westbrook I mean he's not a two guard but they have no other really strong guard they used to have three strong guards that you could rotate around and now they don't have anyone other than Westbrook and Durant really if one of those two it doesn't play they are just nothing they cannot go anywhere those two are carrying this team they have some solid versatile bigs I'll give them that but they're offensively uh, dynamic. They don't do much defensively. I just think it's too easy to attack the Thunder on the offensive end. And if you get into a shootout, yeah, they can put up points, but I just don't think they can stop anyone. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Um, you know, that ghost of the James Harden trade continues to haunt them. They got back so many assets and picks and have really turned it into nothing. I mean, Jeremy Lamb, who uh, was drafted by the Rockets, was part of that deal. I mean, is he on? He's on his fourth team at this point, I believe. So, uh, ever since trading away James Harden, they've just struggled in in developing more talent. And the Thunder, at up to that point, have been great at at drafting and developing young talent. Uh, and and they've struggled to to have a, a solid starting shooting guard because, like you said, Cephalosha and Harden were were one of the best combinations to to at the two. So, um, it's kind of disappointing to see that Westbrook and Durant. And, you know, if you throw Ibaka in there because he is a good shot blocker and and can stretch the floor a little bit, uh, it's disappointing to see that that three struggle uh, to find success because of the lack of depth that they have around them. I said the day they traded James Harden, that would cost them a championship. That that trade right there would be the end of their dynasty or whatever you want to call their run, not their dynasty. They are not a dynasty. Their run, that era. Um, I, I thought it doomed them too always being just a little bit off and i so far i've been right we'll see yeah i mean ever since that moment durant and westbrook have kind of traded off in struggling with injuries i mean if harden were still on that team they, they might have had chances to sustain further success while dealing with those injuries so uh thunder is a, is a i guess a cautionary tale for anybody who drafts too much talent and thinks tries to get cute and think for the future. So um, moving on in the trade deadline, we're going to uh, Orlando. Uh, they traded away Channing Fry earlier in this podcast. They also traded away Channing Fry's cousin. Uh, yes, they are cousins. Tobias Harris moved to Detroit. Chris, you found this move surprising given that they just gave Tobias Harris a contract extension down in Orlando. What are your thoughts of this move? Not only that, I mean, he's a young guy. I mean, he's only been in the league for four years. He's 23 years old. He's averaging close to 14 points per game, about seven rebounds per game. His uh, player efficiency rating, if you value that, is 15.76. 
this is a good guy. And they kind of just gave him away. I mean, they got Brandon Jennings, but I don't know. I, I mean, Brandon Jennings has proven that he's a pretty journeyman point guard. Tobias Harris seems like a solid, versatile big. Why would you just give up on a guy who you had signed to a solid four-year value deal worth $64 million. Now, I know that, you know, that seems high now, but you look over the as the NBA cap rises up with what Tristan Thompson signed and everything, I mean, that deal is going to look pretty good in the new era of the NBA. I think Detroit got a steal right there. I think they fleeced Orlando. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Brandon Jennings and Ersan Ilyasova are not worth Tobias Harris, uh, a 23-year-old. Uh, this guy's another stretch forward. He can play that power forward position, shoot the three ball very well. Uh, just look at his debut in Detroit, 21 points, uh, four rebounds, uh, and he shot uh, was two for four behind the three-point arc. Like, he's going to be a great addition for Detroit, which has one of the best centers in the league, Andre Drummond, also one of the worst shooting p- players in the league uh, to pair him up with Tobias Harris at the stretch four. I mean, this is a Detroit is a budding team. And I think that they are onto something. I like this move a lot. Uh, it's very questionable why Orlando took this move on. Uh, you know, maybe it's hard to imagine, but maybe at the age of 23, Tobias Harris was already too old for the Orlando magic, given how young and talented, how they've invested in, 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 in young draft picks the past couple of years. But uh, it just seems questionable to me. Can Cleveland have just traded Anderson Varejo for this guy? I mean, they got more for Anderson for, for uh, Channing Fry than they did for Tobias Harris. Yeah, I don't, I, again, I, I don't really know what what the thought process was um, it, it, with that first-round draft pick being thrown around. I, I feel like they could have got Tobias Harris. You're right. I, I mean, yeah, that, I don't they, – they traded – what? I think they got a second-round pick for Fry. And, of course, Cunningham. I don't think they got anything but Brandon Jennings for Tobias Harris. I, I didn't see any picks involved with that trade. I could be wrong. No, it was just Jennings and Ilya Sova. So why not just package Varejo and your second-round pick and give it for Tobias Harris? I mean, that to me, that's more than what they got for Tobias Harris. They got more for Channing Fry than they got Tobias Harris. I understand Brandon Jennings is a solid point guard, but I, I don't get it. That's just crazy that why they traded this guy. This guy seems like he is a solid young player who can really help a starting five anywhere in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's a good addition for Detroit and uh, sitting in the ninth seed uh, in the Eastern Conference right out of the playoffs at 27-29, just two games back from the eighth seed. Uh, it, it's a good move, and I think it, it's going to help them uh, go on a playoff run. Uh, they weren't done though. They sent, uh, they traded for Donatus Montayunis and Marcus Thornton. Uh, they traded a protected 2016 first round pick, and I believe Joel Anthony. Uh, they went to Houston for that. Uh, this move is being held up due to Do- Donatus Montayunis's back, uh, still being uh, examined by Detroit's uh, physicians, team doctors. Uh, they've actually extended the deadline for for uh, you know usually. Players have to pass a physical within 72 hours. They extended that by 24 hours. So uh, probably on Monday, we'll find out whether this do- deal goes through. But uh, Donatus Montaunas is, is a good backup center. And I think Detroit, 
made another smart move with this steal as well. Detroit is definitely trying to make the playoffs this year. Kudos to them. I think Detroit is proven. I mean, they were already in that eight spot. I think with these moves, they've kind of solidified themselves and maybe might run up the ladder to seventh or sixth or something like that. And then perhaps if they draft well, well, I mean, they just traded their pick. So if they make the playoffs, it'll um, uh, materialize for Houston. But I think Detroit's in a good position. I think that they've made some very savvy moves. They have a superstar center in Andre Drummond. They're surrounding him with another solid guy in Tobias Harris. They're starting to put some cornerstone pieces together that could sustain them for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not sure what exactly the protections are on that 2016 first-round pick. It's top eight. Top eight. Okay, so they're probably giving it up. Yeah, I like like all the moves. that I think they've added three quality guys uh, really – for no, I mean, Brandon Jennings was a key part uh, of their team. He was playing quality minutes, but uh, I think it was worth adding these three guys, a little bit of veteran leadership, uh, shoring up your roster. And, and, you know, Reggie Jackson is your starting point guard now. He's having a fine year. So Brandon Jennings was definitely expendable. So uh, Detroit is on the up and up with, with Andre Drummond and Jackson. And now these pieces coming together. Uh, I, I like what they're doing there. Yeah, just be aware of one thing. I mean, I thought Milwaukee was on the up and up last year, and they've kind of fell apart this year. So well, just I, a cautionary table to Detroit. Just be care, careful of young teams. But I like what they're doing. I like what the Pistons are doing. I think I think a key difference between De- what Detroit's doing and what Milwaukee's doing is that Andre Drummond is absolutely a star at, at this point in the league, and Milwaukee was a team, had lots of good pieces. But Andre Drummond is a beast, and uh, he's very promising – they still have him under control for a really long time. So I think that can kind of is a little bit easier to see. And I, I like what I'm seeing. That's a very good point. I mean, Jabari Parker in Milwaukee has yet to elevate to that level of stardom that Andre Drummond has. Not to say that they do the same things, but Milwaukee is definitely missing that uh, frontline superstar. And Andre Drummond is certainly that. Yeah, absolutely. So those are the big moves. Um, a funny one that, that uh, you were kind of laughing at. Kirk Heinrich is back to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, seems to be bouncing back and forth. <laughs> what are you thinking about that one? Well, I think it's hilarious that uh, Kirk Heinrich is like the uh, Kirk Heinrich, excuse me, is the middling Eastern Conference contender journeyman. He goes from Chicago to Washington, Atlanta, back to Chicago, now back to Atlanta. <laughs> He's just gets bounced around in that triangle of teams that are always seen to be in the middle of the Eastern Conference standings. So I thought that was pretty funny. And just for us, our listeners out there, we understand that there was a very big move involving the Clippers and the Memphis Grizzlies, but we are going to focus on that in our bonus Tennessee-focused podcast that airs every month called Volume the 10. So our second episode of Volume the 10 will deal with that last major move. We didn't want to think that we forgot that, but... Yeah, Kirk Heinrich bouncing around back in Atlanta. I'm just waiting for the trade for him to go back to Washington next year. So then he'll just <laughs> complete the triangle. It's not, it's not like Kirk Heinrich's a bad player. He's a, a good contributor. <laughs> yeah. um, it is kind of funny that he's bouncing back uh, between three teams, though. Uh, kind of related to that Memphis move, uh, Miami Heat is making some financial deals. Notably, Chris Anderson's off the team now. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, home, home. More... More excitement for the accountants than for the basketball fans. It's just to save some money. None of the players they traded away or received really moved the needle for the team. It's just getting out of the luxury tax and all that fun stuff. 
Yeah, I think it's just saving some dollars, and uh, I'm not sure what it's going to set up for the summer, but uh, Miami Heat and Pat Riley, you know, like to they like to angle for the cap space. So I, I, that's all I really see out of that. Um, any last thoughts on the trade deadline? No, not really. I mean, none of these moves are going to change the landscape of either conference like last year potentially could have. But I do think that there were some solid value trades. And who knows, maybe one of these guys will step up in the playoffs and have a big shot or something that will ultimately change the the way this season goes. So I think the contenders did some savvy moves. I think Detroit ultimately was the biggest winner just because I think it made the most moves that will impact its team for the long term. But as far as the big guns go, I mean, it's still going to be San Antonio, Golden State, and Cleveland, and everyone else kind of chasing them. Yeah, definitely. I, I found it interesting that most of the buyers were on the Eastern Conference and that number nine and number 10 spot, the Detroit Pistons and Washington Wizards, they were the buyers and Orlando Magic at 11th, they were the sellers. So uh, Eastern Conference is getting a little more competitive. We talked about that a little bit uh, in a couple podcasts previous, but uh, that, that was an interesting part. And then I think the biggest move that the biggest news out of the trade deadline was that the Boston Celtics didn't make a move uh, sitting at number three in the Eastern conference, tons of assets that Brooklyn nets pick that everybody wants. Uh, and they, they stood pat. So that, that was interesting. And probably uh, without the Boston Celtics being involved, it made for a very quiet trade deadline. I, I don't think they didn't want to be involved. I just think that guys like Dwight, I wouldn't have traded any of them for Dwight Howard and Al Horford ultimately wasn't on the table. We all know Kevin Love really wasn't on the table. I don't think I think the guy who could have fit the best was Carmelo Anthony, but I don't think the Knicks wanted to send him to Boston in their own division. So, you know, they had the assets to get a superstar, but these guys don't come on the trade. I mean, it's very yeah. rare to see a superstar get moved at the trade deadline. Maybe in the summer it will be a little more compelling, but it doesn't shock me that they weren't able to make a move because that's a lot to ask. It's it's not enough to just have the assets. You got to have someone willing to deal a player of that caliber in the middle of the season, which means essentially punting on a playoff spot. That's a big price. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, if the Celtics are going to make a huge deal, you're right. It's going to be in the summer, and I think they're gearing up to make make a big deal. So uh, they're definitely a team to watch in the future. Kind of like what they did in the uh, 2008 off season when they got both. Uh, Oh, excuse me, 2007 offseason for the 2008 season when they got Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen, a draft day deal and then a summer trade. Right. So keep an eye on that, man. Yeah. All righty, so we got some more basketball to talk about. We're going to shift gears to college. Haven't talked too much college on the podcast, but being from Ohio, we are big fans of most Ohio schools. I cheer for Ohio State. I also cheer for a lot of the other Ohio schools, too. And while Ohio State is on the bubble, maybe, maybe not, probably won't make the NCAA tournament, there are two Ohio schools representing the top 25 admirably, and they used to be, well, they still are, but they used to be in the same conference, the Atlantic 10. And we're talking about Xavier, Xavier, excuse me, and Dayton. Big rivals, used to be in the A-10. They don't play twice a year anymore because... Xavier moved to the new Big East, and Dayton is still in the A-10. Both very good conferences, by the way, for basketball. Xavier 24-3, Dayton 21-5. So because they're not going to play on the hardwood in the conference season, they played back in November. Xavier won 90-61. Uh, 
But that was back in November. A lot has changed since then. We thought we'd ask ourselves, which one of these Ohio schools has the best shot at making a deep run in the tournament? So, Bob, start with you. Which one of these teams do you like better? Uh, I like Xavier better. Um, maybe that's just the name brand of it uh, that, that's doing it for me. But I, I like Trevon Blewett at 15.3 points a game, 6.5 rebounds. He's a guard, 6'6", a sophomore. Uh, he's do he's doing really well, and he's their he's their team leader and scorer. So uh, I I like Xavier and what they've done. They have a higher RPI. They ranked higher. Uh, I I just think they're more experienced and they have uh, a little bit more uh, experience pedigree to to kind of make a deeper run in 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 the into the tournament. Yeah, I mean they're twenty four and three. They have three good losses. Villanova, who's ranked number one, they actually have a big game at home against Villanova this week. Georgetown and Creighton are the other two losses. So they've taken care of business, and they drummed Dayton in the non-conference, but that's a little deceiving because they, Dayton was down to Sean Pierre, who is their second highest scorer. Uh, he missed the whole first se- semester because of an off-court uh, allegations, but Dayton still went 10-2 and in a very tough non-conference schedule. Um, P- Pierre's the team's thir- second-leading scorer, as I said, with 13.1 points per game. Dayton is an interesting team. You know, they're they're not a team that you associate with elite college basketball. But over the last few years, you know, they went to the Elite Eight two years ago. They went to the round of 32 last year. Archie Miller is probably one of the best young coaches in all of basketball. And they they were a little discombobulated in the non-conference, but they still went 10 and 2. Now, granted, Ken Kendall Pollard has missed the last three games, and Dayton has lost their last two to tough competition, St. Joseph's and St. Bonaventure. So if that's a long-term injury, that could hamper the Flyers' um, ability to make a run. But if they are healthy and at full strength, I really think Dayton is a team that could surprise a lot of people come March Madness and make a run to the second weekend of the tournament. Um, again, they were 21-3 and entering this week. They're now 21-5. and They're probably going to tumble down the rankings, which is unfortunate. They were number 15 and 13 in the two polls. They will at least drop outside of the top 20 with those two losses, I would think. Xavier is still going to be a top 10 team, holding steady at number 8 and number 7, depending on what poll you look at. But that big game against Villanova, I certainly will want to watch because I would want to see the Ohio team step up knock them off and if that happens maybe they'll solidify themselves as possibly a top two seed i mean xavier could could legitimately get a top two seed in this uh tournament and maybe get placed in a favorable regional site that could aid them in in what could be a very special run i mean xavier certainly has the talent to go very far yeah definitely i mean both these teams have had really good years so you know we're debating two uh top 25 teams so i think they're both gearing up for for potential runs into the tournament so it'll be interesting to see i just kind of believe in xavier a little bit more i would tend to agree with that too because xavier's been to the tournament more they've gone deeper in the tournament consistently so i certainly think xavier's the safer bet but i think if dayton's healthy they're going to be a deadly team they'll be a deadly kind of four or five seed and in a year where there is no convincing number one i think all four number one seeds are going to be right for upsets i i really do i think that there could be some true chaos. Last year, there was some stability. You had Arizona, Wisconsin coming back with a lot of veterans. You had Kentucky locked and loaded, Duke locked and loaded. You had some teams that really stood out. This year, 
not so much. You don't have the sense that there is a team running away with this thing. Even two or three teams. There are, there are a bunch of like really strong teams. And I think that it's going to be a very, very, very chaotic and fun March Madness. I, I think this year it's going to be a little more madness than it is March. Last year was just kind of March. The chalk all kind of got through except for Michigan State. This year the madness is going to return. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it should it should make up for a really good tournament. Um, let's talk about some specific games, though. Uh, sticking in Ohio, we had a, a good rivalry, Kent State versus Akron. Did you have a chance to watch that one? I did not, unfortunately. I Honestly, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't even know who won. Do you know who won, Bob? Oh, yeah, Kent State won 85-76. Go Flashes, baby. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, even though even though I went to Kent for my uh, graduate degree, I uh, you know I got nothing against Akron. I really don't. If either of them are in the tournament, I'm fine with both of them. I, I want them to succeed. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, not not even Ohio thing. Just these small schools. It's nice to see them succeed. Um, this was a big game though. You know, it was on ESPN nationally televised. Kalik uh, Spicer and Kellen Thomas both scored 22 points for Kent. Um, so it was a good. Uh, Good game, and they're both having really good seasons. Kent's eighteen and nine. Akron is twenty-one and six. So that'll be a nice MAC tournament. You know, you and I have, have gone down there sometimes to watch those that MAC tournament. So I'm, I'm sorry, the MAC tournament is so much fun because all of those schools just play die hard because they know that that's their only avenue to the tournament. It's not like the right. Big Ten where you're just puffing up your resume. You know, even if you're the number one seed, you got to go pedal to the metal. And these two teams were, I believe, top two in the MAC going into this game, and they're traditionally two of the best teams in the MAC. So huge rivalry. If you love small school rivalries, this is a great one. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to follow it much on Friday because I was covering a high school game, but very fun. They're going to rematch, I think, in two weeks on uh, March fourth. So the Kent State will have to go to Akron and see if Akron can can, can return the favor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, now moving to a much larger rivalry. Uh, probably the cream of the crop uh, in terms of basketball rivalries. Duke versus UNC. Uh, they put together another classic. I think they've met 89 times, and the point differential combined for all those games is less than 15 points for for these matchups. When Duke meets UNC, uh, it's always. I feel like there there's a classic game that we watched last year as well. This was a really good one as well. Um, Brandon Ingram, Grayson Allen both went up for over 20 points. Bryce Johnson from UNC scored 29 points. Uh, Thornton for Duke had that cl- clinching block at the end to stop UNC from even attempting a go-ahead shot. Chris, did you have a chance to watch this game? I did, and it was fantastic because the entire game, it felt like Duke was losing by 12 points. But then you'd look at the score, and they were only down four. They were always only down like four points. It felt like North Carolina just completely outplayed them for about, you know, most of the game, like 35, 37 minutes. And then Duke just snatched it from them. I mean, it just, it was intense. It was fun. It was what college basketball is all about. You know, with all due respect to Louisville and Kentucky, this is the best rivalry in college basketball. One of the best in all of college sports. And it's, it's must-see TV when these two teams take the hardwood I'm very, very eager for the rematch, and I'm looking forward to these two teams playing again. Yeah, definitely. Brandon Ingram, uh, I like what I see from from that freshman with Duke. Uh, 
Duke is, is turning out some really quality freshmen the past couple of years, and I think he's another one. He's a six nine guard. Uh, we saw him drop twenty three points. Uh, excuse me, twenty points in that game, ten rebounds as a guard. He might be a small forward moving forward, but uh, I like that player. Yeah, they play again on March fifth. So once again, they will overshadow Akron v Kent State. Come on, guys, move your date. Let the small guys have a day in the spotlight. <laughs> I guess it's, it's like a rivalry day. <laughs> yeah. But all righty, uh, switching gears a little bit here. Some surprising news out of the Boston area. Gerard Mayo has announced his retirement at just 29 years old and eight seasons in the NFL. Bob, he is one of the key contributors to New England's defense, and it showed against Denver. Uh, he got injured in the divisional playoffs, did not play in the AFC Championship game. I mean, the defense still played well, but it certainly could have used the him on the field at any point um it, it's kind of crazy because this guy i mean for the last seven years so the only year he wasn't named a team captain was his rookie year so that just tells you what his teammates think about him if as a sophomore on the new england patriots you are voted a team captain that that's just insane yeah uh well my first memory of Jerron mayo uh was that i read that he had won rookie of the year and I, that was the year after the deflate or excuse me, the spy gate where the new England lost their original first round draft pick, but they took Jerron Mayo and, and they had another first round draft pick and they took Jerron Mayo with that pick and he ended up winning rookie of the year. So even you try the NFL tries to punish the Patriots and they still get the rookie of the year. That was my first memory of him. And since then he's had a really great career. Obviously being, you said he was named team captain in his sophomore year and has been team captain ever since uh, the Patriots have very few irreplaceable players. I wonder if Gerard Mayo is one of those at the middle linebacker position. Uh, you look back in the history of the Patriots, they've always had very high quality leaders in the middle linebackers dating back to Teddy Bruschi. Uh, so uh, replacing Gerard Mayo is uh, going to be hard for the Patriots because he has some intangible assets that the, the Patriots can't uh, go out and replace in the normal Patriot way where they just, find the next man up. Uh, Jerome Mayo, a two-time Pro Bowler, led the league in tackles in 2010. Uh, A very fine career. Very surprising that he's retiring at age 29, though. I'm going to slightly disagree with you because I think the Patriots are used to replacing Gerard Mayo. One of the reasons he's retiring is that he has finished the year on IR, I believe, four out of his eight seasons, including the Super Bowl season where he only played six games in 2013, six games in 2014, did not play a postseason game in 2013 or 14. So while I agree they are going to miss him, while I agree he is definitely a big part of their defense, you know, not having Gerard Mayo is something the New England Patriots are used to and probably game plan for in the last few years, just given the unfortunate nature of him always seeming to be on injured reserve. Um, not Again, not trying to pile on a guy here, but I can certainly understand why he would retire because he just always seems to be injured. Yeah, no, that, that's a very good point. And I guess I will lessen my uh, expectation of a loss for the Patriots. But I will say there's a difference between not having the guy anywhere associated with the Patriots at all and having him on injured reserve. Uh, you know, his work ethic in the offseason, his leadership, it's just going to be completely gone for the Patriots. So it's still going to leave a little bit of a hole, even though the past two years he's played. Uh, a total of 12 games so 
uh, yes, they are, they've already geared up and have shown that they can absolutely move on without Gerard Mayo, but without him even being in the building, uh, I'm sure it's going to feel a little bit different for them. Oh, I certainly agree with that. And you're, you're right. I mean, the leadership, the intangibles, even when you're injured and not contributing on the field, you know, there's still something to be said about a guy's work ethic, about being around someone, about the presence in the locker room, things that you just can't measure. So, yes, you can't underestimate the fact that after one year, he was named team captain on a team. I mean, this is a team that just went undefeated two years ago. And he comes in, wins Defensive Rookie of the Year, is named a captain, and holds that title for seven straight seasons on a very veteran-laden team. Uh, that's something that just can't be overstated. So, obviously a very big piece. But he wasn't the only one who retired. These other two aren't as surprising. Jared Allen and Heath Miller both of them are 33. They've played 10-plus years. Two very strong players. Uh, Jared Allen, one of the all-time greats. Heath Miller, a very strong tight end. Um, so three very significant names retiring from the NFL. Yeah, definitely. Jared Allen, I believe, two-time sack leader. Uh, it was good to see him get to a Super Bowl, uh, kind of end his career in, in, in an upswing, uh, being traded to the Carolina Panthers this year and, and playing in that Super Bowl. And then Heath Miller, I read that Ben Roethlisberger cried when he heard that Heath Miller was said he was retiring. Don't know if that's true or not, but that kind of just shows uh, what he means to that Pittsburgh offense has been, uh, when healthy, a very reliable target for them, uh, even before uh, Pittsburgh became known for being a, a crazy pass-happy offense. Heath Miller was very reliable for them. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to put up the huge passing yardage that some of these tight ends do, but a fantastic just all-around tight end. I think what gets lost in Rob Gronkowski's greatness is his ability to still be an elite blocker. And I think the blocking element of the tight end position gets overlooked. And Heath Miller, definitely a very balanced tight end. He was a big Renzo target. Again, he's not going to light up the passing yards, but a very balanced tight end can do a lot on the field that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. So certainly Pittsburgh's offense is going to miss him. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. All righty. The ladies of the U.S. women's national team qualified for the Summer Olympics, which I'm sure is a shocker to you, Bob. And then they went on and beat Canada 2-0 in the CONCACAF championship. So uh, everything kind of went according to plan, and the uh, ladies of the American team will once again be going for the gold medal. I think they're going for their fourth straight Olympic gold medal, which is insane. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that came to no surprise to, I think, either of us. Uh, you know, Canada is a very good women's soccer team, but you know, this is the best soccer women's soccer team in, in the world right now. The Americans, they coming off the world cup. They're going to go hard for that gold medal. I, they're absolutely the favorite. So not a big surprise, but very, uh, breathe a sigh of relief that they are, uh, heading back to the Olympics. Some other soccer news though. Wayne Rooney could be out for six to eight weeks, uh, with an injury. Lionel Messi also scored his 300th gold in La Liga for Barcelona. Uh, Bob, those are two pretty big names. One very good news and one uh, not so good. Yeah, I mean, Lionel Messi has been around long enough where uh, he's going to start racking up a lot of career milestones. Uh, still continues to be one of the top three goal scorers in, in all of FIFA, all of soccer. Wayne Rooney, uh, you know, is still putting together very solid years. So Manchester United is going to miss them, miss him definitely. Uh, Man U is currently fifth in the Premier League. Uh, that's puts them right around qualifying for Euro competition next year. Uh, they're sitting 
12 points out of Leicester City for that number one spot in the Premier League title. Uh, so they're definitely going to miss him. Uh, good news for them is they have Memphis Depay, or Depay, who is a 22-year-old guy, Dutch uh, scorer for, for uh, Manchester United, who's having a really quality year. So maybe this is a time for him to step up and start scoring some more goals. All right, well, I don't know if you heard this, but in the boxing world, Manny Pacquiao caused quite a stir with some of his anti-gay comments. Uh, so much so that Nike has dropped him, terminated their relationship, their endorsement deal. Uh, Bob, what did you think of this story? Good move by Nike. I certainly think it was. Yeah, definitely. I, I like it when you know companies, leagues, teams make definitive stands and don't let athletes get away with, for doing anything just because they're incredibly talented. That being said, Manny Pacquiao is on the downswing of his career, so maybe it was an easy move for Nike. But still, it was it was good a good show for Nike to break up with him. Certainly, I agree that it's easier to take these kind of stands when the athlete is on there. It's a downswing of his career. Be a little more interesting if this were eight years ago when Manny Pacquiao was, you know, right there with Floyd Mayweather as one of the best pound for pound boxers in the world. Uh, would they still drop him? But again, I'm not going to just pile on Nike. I think they did the right thing. Uh, but you're right, it is uh, it is convenient for them to do that when he's more on the downswing of his career. But kudos to Nike for not allowing that to represent their brand. And finally, last but certainly not least, Jim Brown, one of the greatest, if not the greatest football players ever, is getting a statue outside of Brown Stadium for his 80th birthday. It was announced on his 80th birthday. Isn't this kind of long overdue, Bob? I mean, Jim Brown is the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, it's not surprising at all. And in the city of Cleveland, if uh, Jim Tomei gets a statue, Jim Brown should have like a monument to him. Uh, <laughs> one of the best football players ever. And so obviously the best Cleveland Brown ever definitely deserves a statue. It, it's it's a good, a good uh, you know, sign to Jim Brown, who still remains active in the organization. He might be the best Cleveland Brown on this Cleveland Browns roster right now. <laughs> I mean, that's saying something about the well, current state say, of the Cleveland Browns. I will say he is the last Cleveland Brown that deserves a statue. There's not been a single person after him that deserves a statue for the Browns. Yeah, there are a couple others from that era who would be worthy of one, though. Uh, some of the, the old-timers still would be deserving. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I think the last guy may be Kozar, maybe Bernie Kozar, only because of what he meant to the franchise. I, I personally don't think so. Because I think statue, you got to really be a legend of the game. And Kozar was a great quarterback for Cleveland. But if you look at legend, I don't think he's like a legend of the game. You know what I mean? No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, uh, Jim Brown is uh, the best <laughs> the best running back in, in the NFL's history. So uh, comparing Bernie Kozar does not hold up when comparing him to Jim Brown. So if, if we're talking about statue level being Jim Brown level, Nobody else in the Cleveland Browns deserves one. Not even close. They got to get some Super Bowls in here before they even get considered. And for those of you who think we're just being Cleveland homers, go and watch Jim Brown. If they can, if he's on YouTube or anything, just go and find some footage of Jim Brown play, and you will see exactly what we mean. I think there is one thing that most football fans can agree on is that Jim Brown belongs in the conversation of minimum one of the test 10 best football players to ever play the game. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that, and I, I think there are very few people that would disagree with you. Certainly deserving, and if that's the bar, uh, it could be a while before the Cleveland Browns uh, get another statue. But 
that is a topic for another podcast. Hopefully, we will have that topic on another podcast because it means the Cleveland Browns will have won a few championships and we will finally put this Cleveland title curse to bed. But until then, we have to go. But as we said earlier in the podcast, we will have another episode this week, our second episode of Volume to 10, which is our Tennessee-focused monthly bonus podcast on the Titans and Grizzlies and Predators. And so that will be coming out this week as well, focusing on the Grizzlies trade deadline moves. But until then, we have to go. Please follow us on Fenley Road Sports. We are on Twitter, Instagram. Search us on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. That's Fenley Road Sports. And, of course, come back to FenleyRoadSports.com for more content. We'll have some blogs out for you, as usual. And, of course, our podcast will also be on the website. But until next week, take care. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.